we would take out the Word of God and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We continue our sermon series through the essentials at Ashland. Uh, what we normally do here is we take a book of the Bible and we go verse by verse, passage through passage. Uh, we'll continue to do that. We've just decided this to begin this year we're going to go through what we believe to be essential here at Ashland. What we think a healthy disciple in the context of a local church should be doing. And last week we began uh, this series by talking about what it means to believe in Christ, what it means to begin following Christ. We asked the question, am I a Christian? And I would encourage you, uh, if you weren't here or maybe you want to review to go back and listen to that sermon. These, all these things build on one another as we're putting together the image of what discipleship looks like here at Ashland. Uh, and today, we're going to ask the question, am I a church member? Now, we realize everyone is at a different place in answering that question, in the process of figuring that out. Uh, and so, as we move through uh, this question, uh, we, we want you to understand that we're patient and we are praying for you. But we do, if you have questions about church membership, we would love to talk with you about that today. And one of the things that we have done in the back, it's not a baseball diamond. That's not what a baseball field looks like. <laughs> uh, it is our Essentials Hub. Uh, and at any time, if you have any questions about Christianity, about what it means to be a member of our church or any church, uh, what it means to be a part of a small group, what it means to develop gospel friendship, uh, what it means to serve here at Ashland. At any time, uh, there will be folks back there at one of the tables who would love to talk with you about those things. Well, today we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 21 and ask the question, am I a church member? Actually, uh, we're going to look at verse 23. Sorry, uh, Misty, I think you got the wrong verse there. and That's my fault. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 21 through verse 23. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of, Christ, of God's perfect word. We consider Christ in his word, the one who died for our sins and the one whom God has raised up and seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh God, as we think about the glory of your church, as God, even as I read those words, it is shocking. It is scandalous that Jesus would say about the church, the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is a scandalous, earth-shattering, cosmic, galactic reality that should shake us today. God, help us to consider the question, do I love Jesus? And if so, do I love his church? And help us to consider the reality that we cannot love Jesus without loving his church. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
It was at the birth of my first son. It was the moment I realized that I really did love her. It was October the 26th, 2001, and Danae had woke me up in the middle of the night, and we had rushed to the hospital. And after several hours of labor, I walked out into the waiting room, and I was met by about 30 church members from our small church in Birmingham, Alabama at the time. Uh, the waiting room was cram-packed with people. And I walked in, I wasn't expecting them to be people I knew. It was like 5.30 or 6 in the morning. But I, I walked out and it was all people from our church. I walked out to get our pastor and he was going to come back and pray for Titus who was just born. And, and the scene that I was met with was much like one in a sitcom. There were older ladies from our church who were talking very loudly. There were little kids who were running around in the waiting room that early in the morning. And they were there before school. And and it was one of the weirdest things that I'd ever experienced. We had friends that we were close to at this time who were somewhat overbearing, who were telling me they were just going to come back and see Danae and Titus, and they didn't care what I said, and they were sort of pushing me out of the way, and I was, no, no, that's not going to happen, and I remember making eye contact with the nurse who was behind the desk, who just rolled her eyes at me, like, who are all of these crazy people, and what are they doing here this early in the morning? This group of about 30 people, they stayed, they were waiting for us to get a room, and they were going to just stay all day, and then we found out we had a room, and we, we made it to the room and these 30 people just walked into this little small hospital room and they were intent on seeing Danae, they were intent on seeing uh, Titus. I remember my mom who showed up at that point and was like, what are all these people doing here? This is my first grandbaby, could you get them out of here? And it, it was a crazy scene and I remember just having to so you can see, here's Titus, y'all leave, y'all, come, y'all got the rest of your, his life to see him, and you're going to have to get out of the hospital at this time. But it was awkward, it was embarrassing, I remember being frustrated, I remember being a little bit angry on that day, but it was the church. And it was something in that moment that two young parents in their early 20s, It is what we needed in that moment. We were away from our family. I'm from Tennessee. Danae's from Orlando. We were in Birmingham, Alabama. Our first child's born. and There was no family there in those moments. And we needed the church. And they were going to be there for us. A lot of them in the hospital for us on that day. And since that moment, I thought about that this week. Every significant moment in my life has happened with a church family. We haven't lived close to our family as we've been in ministry. And every significant moment, every birth of a child, every adopting of a child, every struggle, every success has happened with a church family. And we wouldn't trade it for anything. Now, I know a lot of pastors can't say that. But that moment in that hospital, I knew I loved the church. 
I knew I couldn't live, I, whether I was in ministry or not, I would not be able to live without a local church. And from that moment on, one of the things that I've had a great passion for is seeing other people love the local church. And there is no other verse in the Bible, when we look at verse 23 of Ephesians, that describes the glory of the church in this way. As we look at verse 23 today, this is the church's life verse. This describes the glory of the church. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is addressing the issue of racism. The gospel of Jesus Christ has moved from Jerusalem and it is moving to the ends of the earth. And as it moves to the ends of the earth, it invades places like Ephesus. Ephesus was a very spiritual place. There was a lot of witchcraft that went on in Ephesus. There was a lot of idol worship. And and all of a sudden, these weird spiritists start showing up at church with Jews. They start showing up for Awana. They start showing up for BFGs. and, And the Jews are freaked out. These Gentile pagan idol worshipers are all of a sudden sitting at our living room table. They can't do this. And so they began to communicate to the Gentiles, you're not really a part of the family of God. You're not Jewish. You don't have the promises of God. You don't have the commandments of God. Ethnically, you're not a part of this thing. And so Paul writes the book of Ephesians and he says, he says, no, it's not about being Jewish. It's not about being a Gentile. It is about the church. And in the church, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you have all of the promises of God in Christ. You have everything you need in Jesus. This family called the church, in chapter 1, he says, has every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Because of his past work for you, his death on the cross, which earns forgiveness of sin for you, mercy, grace from God, despite your rebellion against Him. Jesus endures your judgment, and you are given all of His promises. You have it all in Him because of His resurrection. He is seated at the right hand of God. And so, because of His past work, you have it all in Jesus. But also because of His present rule. In verse 21, we just read, That Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Jesus being raised from the dead, walking out of the tomb, has been lifted up and he is in the highest place of authority. And Paul says he is above every realm of power. He's above every person of power. He's above every physical and spiritual power. He's above every angel, every demon, every political power, every natural power, every person, every president, every emperor ever in history and throughout eternity. Jesus is above them all. And so the one who has secured all the promises of God for you, he is seated above all other power so he can't lose them. You are secure in him and what you have is secure in him forever. And then notice verse 22, this one who is seated at his right hand, God has put all things under his feet, meaning history 
will end with Jesus as king of all people, places, and things. All opposing rules will be swallowed up in Jesus' rule. Everyone who aligns with Jesus will be brought to serve Jesus forever. He has displayed his power over the natural and spiritual realm, and it will all be brought under his dominion forever and ever. This is why as a Christian, this is good news for you. You think about grace, mercy, forgiveness. You think about all you have in Jesus and all the Bible promises you in Jesus. It is locked tight and secure in Him. In Him, who is the highest power ever. In Him, it cannot be taken away. No matter your ethnicity. No no matter your background. No matter your heritage. Jew, Gentile, Hispanic, Anglo, African, French, Canadian, Quechua. It's yours when you believe in Jesus. Southern Baptist brat. Raised in a voodoo temple in New Orleans. When you believe in Jesus, it's all yours and it can't be taken away. Who's going to take it away from him? He's seated at the right hand of God. He is the highest power ever. And so your status is secure in Him. Everything, your inheritance is secure in Him. No matter who you are in this life, whether you're a peasant or whether you're a ruler, whether you live in a gated community or whether you live in the crack house district, when you believe in Him, your status is ruler in waiting forever. And it's secure. And here in this description of the rule of Christ and all we have, what Paul is doing is he's describing the church, who the church is, the church's identity, the church's inheritance. It's not just a generic group of Christians. It is what God calls the church. And notice he continues that description here when he says, he gave him as head over all things meaning the one who is the source of all things, the king of all things, the ruler of all things, the one who is in authority over all things, chief of all things. Notice, he gives him to the church. Jesus has been designated by God as the head of the church. Of all the other organizations, of all the other powers, nations, people, That Jesus can rule. Who does God give Jesus to as their head? The church. Jew, Gentile, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who bow their knee before King Jesus and say, He is Lord. He has died for my sins. He is Savior and I will follow Him. I give my allegiance to Him. Every person on the planet who does that is a part of the church and can say Jesus is their head. The one who rules over all things has been connected to the church. The conqueror of death. The ruler of the cosmos. King of history. Has been given to what group of people? The church. The church. And so as you think about hope for the future. What do you think about? As you think about hope for America. As you think about hope for human history, as you think about hope for the world, where does your hope lie? 
Well, there's a promise given to a specific group of people. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Every other nation will eventually fall before Jesus. Every other political movement will come to an end. Every organization, every country will eventually end and what will be left standing is Jesus and his church. Now, despite the way that you see her, this is the way God sees her. Despite the times in your life where the church has failed you, and that happens in our life. We have difficult seasons in church life. Churches split. People are mean to us. People do us wrong in the context of the church. The church fails us. And you know what? We also fail the church. I would guarantee you, as you look on your life and you see churches that have hurt you, you can say also, you haven't always been faithful to the church. There have been seasons in your life where you didn't attend church. There have been seasons in your life where you said, I didn't need the church. And so, despite this dysfunctional relationship that we often have with the church, this is the way Jesus sees the church. In the times when you didn't attend the church, guess what? Jesus still loved her. Jesus was still committed to building her. Jesus was still committed to washing her of her flaws and mistakes. And even the way that she failed you, He was still intent on correcting those things. Despite her silliness, Church can be so silly. So many churches are trying to be so relevant that they are absolutely irrelevant. And it's silly. We look in on the church and we say, that's just silly stuff. Why are you trying to be so cool? Why are you trying to be so country? Why are you trying to be so urban? Why are you trying to be so hipster? And we look in on it and it's so silly and dysfunctional at times, but Jesus still loves her. Jesus is committed to her as her head to protect her, to provide for her. And so whether we meet in a cathedral in New York or a basement in Russia, a hut in South America, in the jungle, to the ten folks gathered on the backside of a cornfield in Possum Trot, Tennessee, Jesus is committed to her. He is her head. And he leads her and he protects her. And he provides for her. And she will rule with him forever. That's the church. That's the way God sees the church. And so as you think about your dreams for your future. How do they connect with the church? As you think about your status in this world. Whether you are a little league coach. Or a CEO. Or a greeter at my Whatever your status is, how does it point to your eternal status? You are a ruler in waiting if you are a part of the church and you will rule with Jesus. And that is secure. Nobody can take that status away if you are a part of the church. But notice how Paul continues to describe the church. Jesus has been given as the head to the church. So what is the church? Verse 23. His body. Here in this description... Paul is saying you you can't have Jesus and not the church. They're connected. He is the head and she is the body. They are inseparable. 
Jesus in the world isn't just a lone head, a lone ruler, a lone king. He has chosen to connect himself to this group of people. Jesus has consciously made that decision that I will be head of this body called the church. And in Ephesians, he describes her this way. His bride. Beautiful picture of marriage. And, and, and marriage that we experience was created to point to Jesus in the church. It, it, it's not as though we have marriage, a husband and wife, and God says, let me figure out how to communicate the love you're going to have in marriage. Oh yeah, Jesus and the church. No, it's the other way. You have Jesus and his commitment to the church. And then God says, hey, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to create this beautiful thing in the world to point to Jesus' love for the church called marriage. And it points to this one flesh relationship that Jesus has decided to have for the body, for the church, for his bride. He leads her, he guides her, he sustains her. He has made himself her groom. He will protect her forever. And so marriage, even that we experience was created to point to that cosmic reality, that one flesh union that Jesus has decided to have for the church. And so you cannot say, I really love the head, but the body, I, I could do without it. Say that to your spouse today. I really love your head, but the rest of you, eh, I could do without it. How many of us say that to Jesus? I really love you, Jesus. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to serve you. I'm on a mission for you. But your body? Ah, can't do it without her. You can't do that. Why? Because Jesus says you can't have me without my church. You can't have one without the other. They are connected. They are inseparable. And the way you love Jesus is you love His church. That's why local church membership is so vital. It is crucial to our lives. We think about the church in general. And most of us, when we think church, we just think multiple Christians. I love the church. I love more than one Christian. That's the way we think. But, but the church, everyone who has ever believed the gospel and genuinely followed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for 2,000 and plus, plus years now is described as the universal church. People all over the world right now who are gathered, who believe in Jesus, we are the church. We're the universal church. But, but the universal church is also described as the invisible church. It's invisible. The way the universal church is made visible is through local churches. Here, just like this, we make visible the bride of Christ in the world. You want to know who the bride of Christ is? Look around. The bride of Christ is made visible here. And so you may say, I love the church generically. I love the universal church. I love the invisible church. Well, guess what? You're an invisible Christian. You, you make your Christianity visible in the context of a local church. Local churches are churches that gather together and we agree on what we believe the Bible teaches. And we have covenants. And we have constitutions. 
And we have doctrinal statements. And we say, this is what we believe the Bible teaches. And then we try to flesh that out on mission together. We partner together. We covenant together. And we say, we agree on these things. And now we're going to work together to, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we display what we believe in the ordinances. In baptism. We display what we believe, the gospel, that we were dead and Jesus has made us alive and we are seated to rule with him forever. We display that in the Lord's table. Our doctrinal statements are present when we partake in the ordinances because we are saying we believe this gospel and we're going to celebrate this gospel together and we're in covenant to do it together. We hold one another accountable to what we believe. What we are preaching, what we are celebrating in the ordinances. We have something called church discipline, where we're involved in each other's lives. And we make a covenant. I want you to hold me accountable to believe what we say we believe. I want you to hold me accountable to be on mission in light of what we believe. I, I, I want that in my life, and you need that in your life. And I, I'm in a commitment to make sure together we do that. And that's what a local church looks like. You see, the New Testament wasn't written to generic churches. Well, when you think about the New Testament, it's not as though the apostles wrote the New Testament and said, hey, would you put that in a museum in Jerusalem? Just for churches in general. No, they wrote to the church in Galatia. A local church. They wrote to the church in Corinth. A local church. They wrote to the churches in Philippi. Local churches. That were being made visible. That the, making visible the universal church. And here's the thing as a Christian. You cannot obey much of the New Testament. If you're not a member of a local church. You can't. Think about so much of what is called the one another command in the New Testament. Love one another. Be merciful to one another. Forgive one another. Consider one another. Ask yourself the question, who is the one another? Who's the one another? Love one another? Do you read that as all we need is love? Who are we to love? Well, you're to love people in the context of your church. Love one another. When you read that, you're to think about the person in your BFG who talks with food falling out of their mouth at the dinner table. You're to think about a specific person. Just generic love one another. How do you obey that command? When you hear forgive one another, you are to specifically think about the Awana leader who allowed your son to roll around on one of those trash can rollers back there. And they fell and busted their head this very week. And they had to go to the emergency room and get it stitched up. When you read forgive one another, you think Awana, leader, idiot, stupid, but I forgive them. <laughs> you don't just think forgive in general. You think being merciful? You think about specific things going on in your life. Why? Because you think about the local church you are bound to. Specific people. So when you think about consider one another 
And there are 25 plus of these in the New Testament that if you don't think about the local church, you can't obey them. You think about consider one another. You think about the people you pulled up next to in the parking lot today. And, and, and you think about that family that is celebrating the birth of a child and you are to consider them. You think about that family in the church who, who is struggling in their marriage and you are to consider them. You, you think about that, that college student who confessed to you this week that they are in the throes of depression. When you hear the one another commands, it can't be generic. It's got to be specific people. Specific people you have said, I'm in it for you, you're in it for me, and we ain't going nowhere. We're going to one another this thing out. That's the local church. That's what it looks like. That's why we need the local church. But it gets even, it gets even more cosmic than that. Notice verse 23. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now I just want to stop there because some of y'all already think I'm crazy. I mean, before today you felt that, but even right now you're thinking, this is cultish stuff. This is weird stuff. Never heard this before, and that's fine. But think about the words we just read. His body, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus doesn't lack anything. Jesus created everything. As we just read, He is the ruler over all things. And then God turns around through the pen of the Apostle Paul and He writes, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And if we were in the jail cell with Paul and he read that to us, we would have grabbed the pen and said, you can't write that. That's heresy. How can anybody fill up Jesus? How can anybody make Jesus the fullness of anything? You can't write that stuff, Paul. That sounds heretical. But it's the Holy Spirit who is explaining to us the inseparableness of Jesus and the church. And Jesus chose for it to be this way. The word full here, it, it, it's used three times. Fullness of Him who fills all in all. It, there, in this section, three times he wants, to, he wants to communicate Jesus is incomplete without the church. And this is the only way he knows to do it. Meaning, without the church, Jesus is lacking something. And, and Jesus, who lacks nothing, has decided that it be that way. And, and this plan for human history that involves Jesus to rule over all things, what God is saying is until the church, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who follow Jesus and trust in Him alone for salvation, until this church from all over the world, from centuries past, is gathered once and for all with Jesus, the plan's incomplete. It will not be complete until Jesus is with His church forever. And so Jesus sees Himself as incomplete until the church gathers to Himself. That's what Paul is pains to describe here. That this is His plan. That this is the way Jesus has sought to be it. Until the spotless bride of Christ is gathered to Him. He is a groom who is longing for her. 
He loves the church. And he looks down upon her in all of her garbage. And just think. You think you got problems with the church. Or had problems. Think about the problems Jesus has with the church. Sinless son of God. Looking down on this mess. That we so often create. And yet in his heart. He longs for her. To be with him. Because he loves her despite her sin and silliness. And he says, I will be incomplete until she is, is with me. That's how much he loves the church. He died so she would be with him. He will see it too through the end. And this is the way you should think about church membership. You find a church, whether it's here or somewhere else. You find a church... And you say, as long as we agree doctrinally, and as long as there is moral integrity here, I, I'm going to get past my preferences and those things. But, but, but I love her. And I'm committed to being with her to the end. I'm going to see it through, just like Jesus will. I'm going to follow the example of Jesus. And I'm going to love her despite her flaws. And let me say this. You should expect flaws in the church. We try to pretty it up. And we try to say it's a Disney World experience in the church. And come on in. We're going to make you feel comfortable and happy and smiley and clappy. And you know that's not the way real church life works. You know that. You know it's hard and it's difficult. When I do pre-marriage counseling with couples. They come in and they got that smile on their face. Two months away, we're going to get married, and it's all exciting. And I tell them, the first meeting, my job is to scare you to death. To make sure you really want to do this. Because he's Prince Charming, and she's Cinderella, and you can't see through those things just yet. But you're going to wake up next to a frog one day. <laughs> She'll still be Cinderella. But I want you to know it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and it's not going to be fairy tale. And that's what we try to tell folks here. I mean, we already meet, meet in a place like this. It's not pretty. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. People are going to make you mad. People, people are going to frustrate you and things aren't going to always be like you want. But Jesus is committed to the church despite her flaws. He suffered, he sacrificed for her. It's not always easy to serve the church. It's inconvenient at times. But she's the bride of Christ. Will you commit to her? Will you commit to her and love her the way Jesus does? Will you commit to working through your pettiness and not bouncing? Not bouncing when it just doesn't go your way. The church is not a maid. It's not a slave. To make you happy. Change your mama who picks your clothes up. To make life easier for you. She is the glorious, most beautiful bride of Christ. And she deserves your love. She deserves your honor and respect and service to her. Will you commit to her in some, and give some glimmer of the commitment that Jesus has for the church? And as I said earlier, I want you to know. We are okay with you being at any kind of stage and figuring this out. 
we don't want a sermon like this to turn you away from the church. That's not what we want to do. We want you to love the church. And so we don't care if it takes months, years. We want to be in the trenches with you figuring this out. So this isn't an all or nothing sermon. We believe everybody's at a different stage in this. And you may want conversations and dialogues. You may want to test it. That's fine. But to say, I can love the church and not commit to her, not join her. At some point, you're just like the guy who lives with his girlfriend. And just keeps saying, it's just a piece of paper. I don't have to commit to you. I love you. You know I love you. Well, at some point, you have to commit. I don't just say, I love marriage generically. I love Danae generically. I love my kids generically. No, at some point, I have to walk through the front door and choose not to leave. And that's the same thing that happens in local church commitment. And, and it is something, it, it's not just this artificial, generic rule that we are putting before you today. No, what we're putting for you is something that will make you more like Jesus. That's, it's for your spiritual well-being. You never grow without commitment. You never grow in situations where you can bounce at any time. You never grow in those contexts. You grow where there is commitment. And you say, I'm here to work this out through grace and mercy. The folks I know who bounce from church to church to church are usually the most immature Christians that I've ever met. And they never get past their issue. Well, it's the homeschool, it's the public school, it's the ESV, it's the Christian home standard. It's we're going to do it this way, and this is the way I did it here, and this is the way I did it here. Oh, you're not going to do those things, and you're not going to say those things? Well, I'm going to bounce. And they're still petty. And they're still immature. The most mature Christians I know are those who said, I'm in for the long haul. And they've been there through church splits. And they've been there through pastors they liked. And they've been there through pastors they didn't like. And they're there and they're, they're committed to the church no matter what. You see, Jesus doesn't grow us in comfort ever. There's no dreamy, perfect church situation. There will be conflict there'll be disagreement. Some of you walked in this morning and you saw the red paint. And you said, oh, this is awesome. I'm sure this is Pastor Jeremy's idea. And others of you walked in and said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Why would you paint a floor red? And then some of you said, I could care less. And guess what? We all love each other. And we're all going to get over the red paint on the floor whether we like it. <laughs> whether we didn't like it. Some of you can go back there and square dance on it. You love it so much. But that's the way church life works. You walk in and there's some things you love and there's some things you hate. Some people, sometimes, some of you are going to leave today and they didn't give you kids a snack and you're going to be upset about that. But if we can just bounce whenever, we're not going to grow. We grow where there is commitment. And you need folks who disagree with you just like I do. You know how boring this place would be if everybody just loved baseball? (laughs) 
You know how boring it would be if y'all just loved Tennessee football? You know, you know how boring it would be if you loved the Dallas Cowboys? If people like Zach Lewis really like C.S. Lewis nonfiction better than fiction? That would be really easy for me to show up at a group of people who just are like me. Who believe everything I believe and do everything the way I do it. Do you know who irritates me the most in my house? My kids who are just like me. The ones who are most like me irritate me the most. And I go, why are you that way? And I'm reminded why I'm that way. And you never grow if you have to be around people who are just like you all the time. Guess what you are? You are irritated. You are frustrated. God grows us in joy when we are around people who aren't like you. I have to have a friend who likes to sell. John Martin likes to sell. And I don't understand why any human would get on a boat without a motor. And I don't understand why any human would get on a boat without fishing poles. And lures. And hooks. I, I don't get it. He's so weird. And yet I have grown more through his friendship than, than I, don't, I don't know any other friendship. Kyle Wells is a robot. <laughs> and we, we run together on Tuesdays. And he just takes off sprinting. And I can't keep up with him. Like, do you remember how out of shape I am? And there, there is nothing... In Kyle Wells, sometimes I think that is like me. Do you know how much I've grown through our friendship? Do you know how much I've been reminded that I'm not disciplined like I need to be? Not just as a person, a father, a pastor, a leader. You need people who aren't like you so you can grow. And so you commit to those people and you say, I'm in it for the long haul. I need people here who think we should use the hymnal. And we don't. But you still love me. You still love me. And you're laughing the loudest right now. I need people here who love to hear me preach. And then people who hate that it's 45 minutes. I need the awkward conversation with the high school girl who uses like, like. It was like, it was like, it was like. And I say, what are we talking about? I have to have that. On a weekly basis. I, I have to have the older gentleman who is so reserved that, that I walk away from the conversation going, do they, do they even like me? Do they even know, do they even know me? I, I, I need all of that. I, I need the people who, who I speak to and I'm trying to be so careful with my words that I don't offend them. But somehow in every conversation I have with them, I offend them. I have to have that. Why? So I can grow in grace and kindness and mercy. And it's all messy and it's not easy. It's the church. And to look more like Jesus, you've got to have the church. Again, this isn't an end-all, be-all sermon. This is to give you a vision of the church. Where you begin to ask the question, what is local church membership and why do I need it? And my prayer for you is that 
you find yourself looking around in weird sitcom-like moments in waiting rooms. Or maybe funeral homes. Or maybe standing in downtown New Orleans listening to teenagers rap. Or maybe listening to that college student giving a mission report from Eagle Peru. Or maybe in the living room of a friend who's repenting of sin. Or maybe covered in slime at VBS. And you look at her and you say, man, I love her. I love her. The church. Because what Jesus says is you can't love me without the church.